Welcome to the Duck Territory Podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is across the way. Hello, guys. Uh, it's Monday the 13th. Oregon coming off a victorious win over Idle University. That's a heck of a victory. Heck, heck of a win. Uh, Oregon had a bye week. They're 5-5 five and five going into the second week, the second to last week of the regular season, needing one win to get to a bowl game. Uh, we'll talk about Oregon's bowl possibilities and where they may end up. It gets really complicated, uh, yeah. all the possibilities that are out there. We'll talk R.J. Henderson, Oregon's five-star recruit who's no longer committed. He decommitted from the Ducks Sunday morning. Uh, was that a surprise? What happens moving forward? Uh, we'll also give a little bit of a preview ahead to uh, this weekend's game against Arizona. We do know a start time for that. It's uh, 4 o'clock on the Pac-12 networks. Uh, we also know a start time for the Civil War. We'll discuss that as well. Um, but let's let's go right into just the state of Oregon uh, coming off this bye week. The biggest question is at quarterback. for the Really? You don't say. For about the, what, fourth straight week? <laughs> yeah. Um, you think he's going to play? Uh, he hasn't Justin Herbert. He hasn't Justin Herbert. Yeah, thank you for, for saying the name <laughs> that, that has not been named in a while. Uh, I, I, oh God, I would, I would think so. I mean, if you don't play him now, it's almost a matter of do you even play him the rest of the season? Um, at this point, it's coming up by. It's six weeks removed from the injury against Cal. Uh, obviously, a fractured shoulder, um, non-throwing shoulder, which is obviously better. I would think he'd play. I think we might find out in about an hour for right. sure. I think. Well, I mean, I'm, I would be if Taggart doesn't. He's not asked about it, then we're not doing our jobs, and if he doesn't give a strong response, well, he hasn't done that in the last couple of weeks you, either, but I, I just, I just, I would, I would imagine he'd play, but, but. Pretend you're really tagger here. Yeah. Do you play the card that you did against Washington where, oh, it could be Herbert, it, it, it could be Braxton Burmeister, it could be Taylor Alley. Do you, do you play that card, or do you just come out and just say, hey, look, he's our starter, we don't care if this is gonna happen? Uh, and, and impact your your game prep at all. I I, I kind of think you you play that card if he's not going to play. Maybe you know what I mean. I mean maybe, maybe you maybe you make Arizona prepare for both. But in the end of the day, I think the reason you make Washington prepare for both is because you want them preparing for Justin Herbert and spending time working on that. Because if all you're doing is focusing on how to defend Braxton Burmeister and have and, and the and the film you have on him now, I'm not sure that's a very difficult ask. I mean, yeah. Not to be not to be mean, but I mean. Really, what has he shown you that you have to prepare for? So I, I, I don't think you, I don't think you do that unless you're under the assumption that Herbert isn't playing this week. And then let's be real too. I'm sure Rich Rod in Arizona is probably looking at it like, look, we're going to prepare for the run game with Herbert in there, and that will prepare us for Burmeister. And kind of what I'm getting at. I'm not sure what you're specifically preparing for with Burmeister. And with her by preparing for Justin Herbert, we'll also be prepared for the passing game. Exactly. Um, I don't know. I think if you go out there and, and well, publicly that might not happen. I would I wouldn't be surprised maybe if the, they practiced on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, Taylor Alley, Justin Herbert, and Burmeister all got reps with the ones uh, during Sunday's short practice. Uh, but if I was Taggart, I would come out and at least tell the team, no mention of who's starting at quarterback, but we're starting Justin Herbert. And that will give kind of a sense of confidence, maybe a jolt of, of juice or energy, what have you. And then you can kind of play the mind games with, with the media. And let's be real here. He's done that. He, oh yeah, he has absolutely done that. But the part of me also says if you're going to 
try to provide confidence and some sort of sense of direction for the program within the team, why not do it for the fans that are supporting it? Because if you're a fan, and I, I guess I'm speaking for people that I'm not necessarily, but right. you probably feel like you've kind of been jolted around the last two or three weeks, kind of, oh, is he is he going to play? Is he not going to play? Right. Why not just be up front and say, hey, the fan base needs a win. I mean, the, the, the last five weeks have been pretty miserable. Let's give them a win. Let's let's let them know that they've got their quarterback. You know that that that, they, that it's worth tuning in on Saturday and to kind of get them kind of focused and excited about the final two week stretch. So that yeah. would be my that would be my argument for why you come out today and say, "Yep, he's playing. He's ready to go. He's looked great." I mean, he certainly has. Taggart has certainly played with the open portions of practice with the media to influence directly or indirectly. We don't know right. uh, the message that's coming out. And we're not saying he's planting, you know, stories and whatnot, but look, we get to go to open practice. We get to see the first 35 minutes of practice. You can damn well bet that Tiger knows that. Oh, he sees this coming. And throws Herbert in there leading up, you know, at the, with the ones leading up to the Washington game while we're there and we're going to tweet out Herbert's running with the ones. We've done it every single week. Uh, the Oregonian, the Registered Guard, yeah. CSNW, or now I guess NBC Sports Northwest, uh, the TV stations, every outlet that's there is going to report that. Well, they're not doing your jobs if you're not. Basically. Exactly. And once we leave, he stops taking reps with the ones, and it's strictly Braxton Burmeister. And let's also be real, the, the reps that are going on during practice, uh, for the most part, at least at quarterback... It doesn't matter who's at quarterback for for ones, twos, or threes because uh, they're all interchangeable. Now, the receivers and the offensive line, that stuff's a little bit different. Yeah. But at quarterback, they're all interchangeable. So I think Taggart's play games uh, to help kind of manufacture the uncertainty of, of Herbert or not. I mean, he was adamantly clear after the Washington game he was not available and probably smart because if he gets hurt in that game, you don't have him available for this week. You don't have him available for Oregon State. Whereas the possibility of winning that game, maybe yeah. now that we've seen that, you know, maybe he plays, they they are closer, maybe they can pull off the upset, but still, the probability of winning that game wasn't very high. Now you go into a, a game where you've got a healthy Herbert, air quotes, and two games left to get one win. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think you have to uh, focus on this final two games to kind of like it's a separate season. If Oregon wins both games, obviously they're bowl eligible and they go to a, a decent bowl at seven and five, not like obviously not a great bowl, but something that will be against a decent opponent more than likely. If they split these games, they're probably gonna be in a very, very low quality bowl. It won't be a bowl that the Pac has like even it's, it won't even be a Pac twelve bowl basically, it'll just be a bowl that they find the last slot for those six right. and six teams. And if they lose both games then then the season's probably going to be considered a pretty big disappointment. What's the excitement level you think from the fan base I was thinking about this yeah. going into these final two stretches because they're coming. They're coming off a bad loss at Washington. Let's, let's say why, why don't the fans tell us as well in the comments right now? What is your <laughs> yeah, excitement if, level? If you're listening to us on Facebook Live, give us your opinions and in, in your interest. You know, how would you level your interest from one being the minimal interest possible to ten? You know, you're dialed in. At, you're you're cranking. You know, counting down the days till Saturday. Get your tailgate going. You know, treating it like the season opener. Yeah. Um, how would you grade your, your interest level if you're listening to us right now on Facebook Live? And if you're not, uh, and you want to know how to do that, just go to facebook.com, uh, slash Oregon247. You'll be able to do it. We want to hear from you guys of just how would you gauge your interest level in this game? Um, I'm curious to see what the reception is, you know, going into this one. I, I think if you throw Herbert in there, 
It goes way up. That, that's exactly what I'm saying, and that's that to me is the argument for doing it. Because if if say say your acceptance level is a three, but you know, but Herbert comes back, I think that like it go, immediately goes up to a six or a seven. Right. Um, people are people are got a couple tens here, still excited if Herbert is back, and I think that if Herbert is back is why is the argument for Taggart coming out today and saying, hey, Herbert's back, we've got our quarterback. Let's go and win these last two games and kind of make the most of this. What's been kind of a disappointing last you know, I mean, last six weeks because there's been some some dude atmosphere leading up to the games before Utah, yeah. uh, before Washington State certainly because uh, that was the first game without Herbert. Um, I think the Utah environment was probably better as the game went on. And oh my gosh, Oregon's going to win. Oregon, Oregon's going to win this game. When going in, probably few people thought that was going to happen. But here comes Arizona. Um, Khalil Tate show, Heisman train, hype, everything that comes with it. You throw Herbert in, this game all of a sudden becomes probably one of the better games in the Pac-12. I was going to say, this could if, if, if you have two quarterbacks of this caliber playing, this game, regardless of if you're a fan of either team, could be really, really fun because having watched Khalil Tate now play for about six weeks, he is the real deal. He's really, really fun to watch. He breaks off a 70-yard touchdown basically every game. He runs for 150 yards basically every game. They don't throw the ball a lot, nope. but they are there. That's a very fun offense to watch. I, I watched that. I mean, it's hard to watch Oregon State football. This time, but <laughs> I watched a portion of that game and came away being like, this guy's really, really fun to watch. And if you can put Justin Herbert back in this offense, which kind of gets forgotten, was averaging 50 points a game and leading the, the country and scoring before he went down, you've got a really fun matchup on your hand on, on Saturday and one that probably shouldn't be buried in the 4 o'clock hour on Pac-12 Network. I mean, I, I, which is strange to think about is Arizona opened their season with a win over Northern Arizona, but it was kind of just, eh. They go home again and play Houston, and they lose 19-16. to And then they go to UTEP, and it's 63-16. And you're thinking, okay, what do we really know about this team yet? They've beaten two really crappy teams. Right. Uh, they've be, the only team that they've played that's legitimate is Houston, and they it was ugly, and they lost at home. They go uh, back home to open Pac-12 play against Utah. They lose that one, thirty to twenty-four. But in that game, uh, that's when Khalil Tate, I think, made his first uh, a real appearance of the season. He no, he, he didn't even play in that. He game. didn't play that game. No, he yeah. came in the next week. Uh, no, 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 I think about it. Yeah, changed. he didn't even play in that game. He didn't play against Utah, UTEP. He didn't play against Utah, and then against Colorado, he comes in, and that's when the Khalil Tate show took right. off. And with the Khalil Tate show, Arizona becomes good, really good. They win four straight games and find their way inside the top twenty-five going into a matchup. Uh, at USC, they lose 49-35, had a chance to... Tied, no, it was tied in the fourth quarter. Tied in the fourth yeah, quarter. pretty close game. And, you know, they come back last weekend and they beat Oregon State at home. And, you know, they're 5-2 and two in conference play. Mm-hmm. They're one game out, or one and a half games out. They're kind of a limit. USC yeah. won the conference. Won the conference. I think I think Arizona could still tie. Yeah, but they wouldn't. They can't but they the wouldn't tiebreaker. win the, the tiebreaker. But... This is a team that's literally gone from could Rich Rodriguez be fired right. to now could Rich Rodriguez be the Pac-12 Coach of the Year? Cleo Tate may not only save his job, but but yeah, but like give him a pay bump or something because <laughs> he's been that dominant and he's a sophomore. Yeah, and he's going to be back at least next year. And, and honestly, what is his pro prospectus? He's a guy who throws like six to twelve passes a game. He's basically I think, like, I think he's Steve Slayton, right? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and the thing that's what Cleo Tate 
is doing for Arizona is exactly what Oregon hoped Braxton Burmeister to do because yes. Tate does not throw the football very effectively, but man, is he effective running. And if, if Oregon had click Khalil Tate in as opposed to Braxton Burmeister, they might not have lost very many games with Herbert sideline. I think you can say that for a lot of teams. I mean, do you think so? <laughs> I think Khalil Tate's that special. He's pretty good, huh? Uh, I mean, just to give you a perspective about what they did against Oregon State, and then, you know, you have to remember it's against Oregon State. They're not very good. Uh, in any facet of the game right now. Right. Uh, they don't have a lot of depth. They don't have a lot of talent. But they ran for 534 yards against the Beavers. That's the second time this season. It's incredible. Uh, Arizona has rushed for over 500 it's yards in a football game. That's insane. Yeah. Uh, Tate has three of the best 15 rushing single, single game rushing records, uh, for Arizona in the top 15. Uh, you look at his, his games and, he ran for 327 uh, at Colorado, 206 this past weekend, and then uh, against UCLA, he also went for 230 yards. So he's got three games this season where he's gone over the 200-yard yeah. plateau, one over 300. I, I read a stat where he has 11 rushing touchdowns of over, I think, 50 yards or more that have accumulated for like 650 yards. So he's like 11 rushes that are worth like 650 yards. He's special. He's absolutely special, and it's going to be... A tall task. I think he's run for over 100 yards in every game. Every game. The it's lowest working. he's ran for is uh, 137 at California, and it was uh, a 17-carry performance, one touchdown. But he also threw uh, for 166 yards, two touchdowns, and completed 10 and 15 passes. So, yeah, I think and if Oregon, you know, we're not, we'll do our preview of what Oregon has to do to win this game on, on Wednesday after we kind of talk to some of the players. About I mean, they this, clobbered but, Oregon State, and he threw the ball seven times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, and that's and that's why I was kind of saying this is exactly what Oregon would have liked to have done with Burmeister, where you don't, don't ask them to throw the football, just ask them to run it. And, um, but I don't think it's happen. just <laughs> looking at Arizona early on, I don't think it's just Khalil Tate, though. I mean, he obviously is what stirs the drink. Mm-hmm. But what makes this team so good now offensively and such a threat is against Oregon State, J.J. Taylor, a freshman, and Nick Wilson, a senior, they also ran for 100 yards. Yeah. Um, and that's the second time that's happened where they've had three guys go over 100 yards in a game in Rich Rodriguez's time at Arizona. Um, J.J. Taylor has basically 700 yards. He has 699 yards this season. Nick Wilson has 461 uh, and then before Brandon Dawkins got hurt, he was at 388. Zach Green, another running back for, for Arizona, is almost at 300, and he's got 296, and he's got the second most touchdowns of anybody at, with nine. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a team where it's – Oregon's going to be stressed uh, defensively here because it's not – it's the Khalil Tate show, but it's just – he's got a good supporting cast around him that can put up a lot of yards and Absolutely. a lot of touchdowns. Absolutely, and I think maybe if there is one thing the, – the, Oregon's strength defensively has been in it, you know, up front, especially on that defensive line, which is probably a surprise. I don't think we coming into the season expect him to be quite so good up there. And a lot of that is done with Jalen Jellicks emerging, the, the merging of those two true freshman nose guards. I think Mondu's probably played his best season to date. Um, but if you do, if, if there is one thing to kind of, to, to kind of say, okay, maybe Oregon can handle this, it is because they've been so good up front. But Arizona is a different offense, so much more dynamic than probably any rushing offense Oregon has faced. In a different way. I mean, they face right. Stanford, which is going to, you know, put you know a ton of offensive linemen out there, run kind of between the tackles. Arizona's going to, you know, RPO you. You know, they're going to be triple option plays, going to be a lot of jet sweeps, different ways to kind of beat you, you know, both horizontally and vertically. So, yeah, certainly a tough challenge and, and one I'm sure that, that Jim Lovett is appreciative of having an extra week to prepare for. I think another big question going into this game that we're going to have to monitor this week leading up to, fo- you know, leading up to Saturday's performance 
is the health of Troy Dye. Mm-hmm. Because if if you may have forgotten, maybe you didn't notice, uh, maybe you do know. But early on in that Washington game, Troy Dye had an injury, came off the field, didn't play much of the, of the second half. I don't think he played at all. No. Uh, and then he, afterwards, Willie Taggart said he's got a strained Achilles. He said he'd be fine, but we saw him in boots all week this past week. And, you know, look, they didn't have a game to prepare for. That was the right move. Yeah. But he wasn't really practicing uh, last week. Is he going to be available this week? And that's and if he if he's not, once again, that inside linebacker depth, which has just been, gosh, it's, it's been decimated. hard. I mean, it, 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 they're down to maybe Isaac Slade, Mariata, who, who I think they were hoping to write shirt, has not played yet. Maybe he has to play because... AJ Hodgkins has already left the team. Kalana Apalu's out. Blake Rugraff has been out. That leaves Jimmy Swain, Troy Dye, who may be hurt, and uh, who's the Isaac or Samson New. So that that leaves like potentially three healthy players at the position. One of which is a guy who's redshirting, and the second guy is a guy who was Probably hoping to redshirt and, and has been forced into action. So, boy, if he doesn't play, that really puts a stress there. And, and not only that, but he's a would be a key player in, in trying to set you know to shut down that Arizona rushing I mean, attack. He's Oregon's kind of shadow, Khalil Tate. He's Oregon's best defensive player. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as good as Jalen Jelks has been, Henry Mondu has been, Springs has been, you know. I look at Troy Dye, and it's, in my opinion, hands and away, the best player on defense yes. uh, by a mile. And he's also one of the best linebackers in the country, in, in the Pac-12, yeah. one of the most impactful guys. Uh, so, yeah, his status is going to be another one that we're going to have to just monitor, and, and Oregon's probably have to sit there and say, please don't please don't be a major injury. Please be <laughs> able to play, because if not, Oregon's in a, in a hurt. We should also mention a couple of the guys who were dinged up last week. Uh, Ken I Benoit did not practice in the practice we saw. I saw him in a boot as well. I think that was an ankle injury. Yep. Um, or shin. Shin. Uh, Cam McCormick uh, and Jacob Breland, the top two tight ends, also in boots last week. Actually, I don't know if McCormick was, but Breland definitely was. McCormick did not practice. Um, they, they're certainly dealing with some injuries, and that'll be something probably to keep an eye on throughout the week. And then kind of going into... Uh Bowl possibilities, segueing over to bowl possibilities here. Not bowl bowl. Not bowl bowl. Not the bowl bowl prospect. Oregon football bowl, bowl games. <laughs> uh, Oregon's 5-5. Five and five. They need one more win uh, to qualify for a bowl game. But the question becomes, what bowl game do they qualify for? And I wrote a piece on duckterritory.com kind of breaking it down. Um, but there's a lot of confusion with this. Uh, there's a lot of what-ifs. There's a lot of scenarios, um, but the first one to take notice here is typically every year the Rose Bowl is where the Pac-12 champion goes to, but this year the Rose Bowl is part of the college football playoff, and therefore the Pac-12 relinquishes their agreement with the Rose Bowl, and the Pac-12 champion's now best assigned bowl is the Alamo Bowl. And obviously that's not going to happen. You know, USC is inside the top 11 for the college football playoff. Washington State, I think, was like 15th going into this weekend. Washington was 8th, but they'll drop out more than likely because of their loss uh, at Stanford. But you can maybe see the Cougars sneak into the top 11 uh, going into, I think, the rewards are, the, the rankings are released on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, maybe Washington is like 11th or 10th. USC will probably be something like 7th or, or 6th uh, in, in the rankings. Uh, and they should be squarely in. And so if, if USC wins out and wins the conference championship, they'll play in the Fiesta Bowl. But 
you know, there could be some craziness happens that, you know, maybe UCLA upsets USC and then USC loses in the conference championship to, uh, Stanford or Washington State. Yeah, a, Stan- right. a Stanford team who's got three losses. I don't think Stanford's going to get into, uh, you know, is Stanford appealing at large berth to, to the Fiesta Bowl? Probably not. Maybe Probably. just the Bryce Love factor yeah, is kind maybe, of like he's exciting, but yeah, other than that. But maybe, um, but that would be just total chaos. Right. But more than likely, USC will be the team that will be in the Fiesta Bowl. Maybe Washington State if they meet again in the Pac-12 championship. And there's that if odd chance. If Washington State beats Washington and then beats USC in the conference championship game, they beat USC twice, and yeah, I would think they would go. And then the question would become, and I think it's not likely, uh, but it's worth kind of monitoring or just mentioning, maybe USC sneaks into like the Cotton Bowl as an at-large 10-3 and team, you know, they're, you know, they've won the Pac-12 South Division. Uh, they've got a couple solid wins. Um, maybe they find themselves getting an at-large berth in that one, and maybe it, then that would bump everybody up. Right. But the way it currently slates right now, USC is kind of in the Fiesta Bowl, and then from there, if the season were in today and we just kind of made our picks of where everything is at, then it gets crazy because the way the bowls are are selected is they are required to to pick. The best teams by record in conference play. While we all know, you know, if a nine and three Stanford team wins the Pac-12 North and loses the Pac-12 championship game, but a ten and two Stanford or Washington team or Washington—I don't know what the tiebreakers are—but a ten and two Washington team is available, but they've just got—they didn't make the conference championship because of the tiebreakers or whatnot. That Washington team would be more appealing to right. bowl games. Um, bowl games are required to pick by based off record and conference play, and then they're also allowed to pick a team who's one win away from best available. So if if Washington State at nine and two uh, and six and two in conference play is the second best option for the Alamo Bowl, but the but the Alamo Bowl people like the Huskies better because they're five and two, they're one game behind. In the win column from from Washington State, they're able to make that jump, and that's where things could get really complicated. Because if I'm a bull, I'm picking Washington's brand, Washington's fans, mm-hmm. Washington's TV appeal over the Cougars. If if that plays yeah. out, and that's where that this is where the craziness could happen. Because we've got the Fiesta Bowl, the Alamo Bowl, the Holiday Bowl, the Foster Farms, Sun Bowl, Vegas, and then the the, the final bowl for. The Pac-12 is seventh bowl is the Motel Six Cactus Bowl, um, and currently Oregon only has five teams bowl eligible, but they've got six more teams. I was one say, away. You, you've got eleven teams that could theoretically be bowl eligible. They're not all going to be because I think they play each other. Also play like Colorado has to beat Utah to get to six and six, and Utah is five and five right now. Maybe. Maybe there's a chance for the that so upset happens. Maybe there's a chance, but yeah, you're looking at a situation where where there's going to be a lot of Pac-12 teams eligible for bowls, and probably a lot of them with six or seven wins, which is why Oregon winning their last two games could be so crucial because you don't want to be in that six and six range. I don't know if they'd be left out, but they could be end up playing in you know the Lone Pine Bowl right. over in I don't know Boise, Boise or something. So, I mean, yeah. that's the th- that's where it gets weird, and that's where you're seeing a lot of <clears throat> a lot of. Uh, Bowl projections listing Oregon in bowl games that you've never heard of that aren't tied to the Pac-12 right. because 
more often than not, there's going to be more than seven teams that are ranked, or more than seven teams that are bowl eligible. Yeah. And Conference USA and the Sun Belt and the American uh, Athletic Conference, they've got six or seven bowl agreements, but more than likely those conferences aren't going to have six or seven teams bowl eligible. So someone has to fill those spots. And so everyone who doesn't make a bowl game through the Big Ten, the, the Big 12, the ACC, the Pac-12, uh, the SEC's bowl agreements, they all get, you know, the leftovers get collected into a pool, and these bowl games then get first pick of who's left. And they, it's kind of a free-for-all. You might have, you know, Oregon get invites to the Boca Raton Bowl, the Armed Forces Bowl, the Idaho Potato Bowl, and Oregon kind of gets to choose which one they want to go to. Man, those all sound so appealing, Matt. <laughs> I didn't heard of half of those. So it, it could get really complicated. It could go yeah. a whole bunch of different ways. Um it's interesting. Another underlying story, and you can give me your opinion of what you would want to do here, is that December 15th, 16th right. week, weekend, what, what would you do if you're an Oregon coach? Do you want to play in the Vegas Bowl, or do you hope for a different bowl game so you can have that big recruiting weekend? Right, because, yeah, and the, that, that's why. Is, is Oregon is set, to, is set to host all of their committed players and most of their top prospects on that weekend right before signing day, which is on December 20th. Which we, I think they need to figure out a way to, to move this around or something because it's kind of unfair that somebody could be playing in a bowl right before that and not really being able to focus all their attention on signing day. Either way, I think if you're Oregon, you do not want to play on a bowl when you're scheduled to have all those players. That means that you're going to have to find another time to host those players. You, the, the more time that is between that and the signing day, the worse. You don't want to host it on the weekend before on like the 7th or the 8th. Because that means that there's now two weeks, basically, for opposing coaching staffs to go out there and talk to the, talk to the players that, that you're targeting. And if you get a verbal commitment on the 8th, it's a heck of a lot more difficult to, to hold on to that through the 20th than yep. it is from the 15th to the 20th. So, yeah, obviously, you do not want to be in a situation like that where you're forced to have that weekend earlier and, you know, UCLA poaches a guy that you thought you had all, you know, lined up. And that kind of segues right into... Uh, the big news over the weekend from a recruiting standpoint for Oregon is the decommitment of five-star R.J. Henderson. Um, 2019 class. 2019 class, uh, but he's the highest-rated commit of Oregon's 2018, 2019, and 2020 recruits. It's strange to talk about that Oregon has commits in three different classes, but that's where we are today. Um, highest-rated player to commit to Oregon uh, among those three classes. Highest player to commit to Oregon, uh, I think, in three or four seasons, if I'm... Remember correctly, the last yeah. five star to sign was Canton Kamatule or, or yeah, Taj Kent, Griffin. Uh, Canton was because Taj got demoted to a four. Right. So yeah, Canton. So that's been four years. Yeah, four years. So yeah, and then it's a pretty big decommitment from that regard. And we watched him at the Saturday Night Live event, which is when he committed. He came out and he's from Texas, and boy, is he impressive. Really fluid, kind of a, a little bit undersized, but but incredibly athletic. Really quick at us, cuts great wide receiver and. You know, you hate to lose a guy, but it's also 2019 class. If there's still a year to make up ground and maybe get back involved with him if that's possible. There's also obviously a, a great opportunity to, to find other wide receivers that maybe are more committed to playing for you. But at the end of the day, it's hard to spin it any other way than saying it really stinks to lose a five-star pledge, especially one that was probably going to be considered a building block recruit in this class. Because it's, it's easier to recruit in 2019 saying, hey, come play with R.J. Henderson, who's one of the top wide receivers in the country, than it is to recruit other guys to kind of fill that spot. Yeah, I look at this as 
you don't want decommitments because that implies that something is is wrong. There's something that that's not good with Oregon right now, and, and Oregon's coaches probably aren't happy about that because they're killing it on the recruiting show right now for 2018 with right. the sixth best class in the country, um, and they're on their way probably to the best class ever mm-hmm. signed for 2018. But the current stigma with Oregon right now is. Well, what's wrong? Because yeah. a five-star doesn't want to go there now. It's also worth mentioning. I think Henderson had committed to two other schools and decommitted. Yeah, this is his third decommitment. So he's, he's somebody that obviously has had difficulty determining where he wants to go. And we should also mention, I believe he visited Oklahoma over the weekend. Which yes. Which is probably a big part of why he did. A school he had been committed to. Had been to. committed to. So, yeah, clearly he's a guy that, that is still going through some you know decisions. It has kind of been indecisive already in the past, still early on in his recruitment. So maybe he is a guy. I mean, he's now reconsidering Oklahoma. Maybe he reconsiders Oregon down the road. But I, I would I would say what's broken with Oregon, it might be less of that and more this is a kid who is having a really tough time making a decision, who's kind of had a history of, of making, you know, impulse decisions and, and decommitting. And this, is, and this is the risk you take when you start heavily recruiting, you know, the day and age of, of college football recruiting has changed to the point where if you're not recruiting the senior class and the junior class, you're not going to have a chance to sign a top five, top ten recruiting class because the way decisions are made, how quickly they're, they're created, uh, or their, the decisions are made there as well. Uh, by the time signing day rolls around for this 2018 class, I wouldn't be surprised if a month later – a third of the top 240 players in the 2019 class have already committed. Mm-hmm. Um, just the way today works in the recruiting world. So, but this, but this is also the other end of the sword here. You recruit guys that are juniors in high school, and you you get commitments before their junior year. More than likely, the kid's not going to end up at your school because this is a 16, 15 year old kid making a decision where he's going to play in college. He gets wrapped up in an emotional decision like yeah. R.J. Henderson maybe did when he was out here in, in Eugene. Oregon loses a little bit of games. They they get involved with, I think, another underlying factor is the targets are going after in 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he starts thinking, oh, do I really want to go here? Things are going well. It's a long ways away. Playing time might not be as early as I thought it would be. I'm going to back off. And that's just the, right, the risk you run with early recruiting. And, and uh, you kind of also touched on it there, but the, the reality is right now Oregon – well, they previously had three recruits committed in the 2019-2020 class. All of them are pretty far away from Eugene, Oregon. Yep. Two from Texas, and, and obviously not only one from Texas, um, but one from Georgia. Oregon is going after guys across the country. I think there's a, a, a difference in terms of the how stable a commitment is if those commitments are from, say, a Patrick Herbert who right. goes to Sheldon High School and, you know, seven miles down the road as opposed to a guy who's 2,500 miles away over in you know, south, Georgia. southeast Georgia or somewhere Texas. Around Texas or something like that. So um, they're really they're rolling the dice here, I think, by going after all these guys. But, you know, I think if you end up landing four out of eight, if you get a bunch of them early on like this, it's, it's worth the risk because, you know, these are these are talented kids. And if you can get on, get on them early and, and get them to commit and buy in, which clearly they've done in 2018 and they're starting to do in 2019 and 20, um, I, I don't think you can can complain about it. And I think that, you know, to wrap things up here, you know, it kind of ties into buying into guys that done in 2018. You wrote a really good piece on the peer-to-peer recruiting yeah. that Oregon has done 
for the 2018 class that's been headlined by a couple guys. Yeah, and so yeah, and I, I I talked to I think four different commitments um, just kind of about the peer recruiting because that's been a big part. And Oregon basically has guys who are who are very active in peer recruiting. Not that not to say that everyone's not, but they've got four guys that are the most active that are in kind of four corners of the country. They've got. Justin Johnson over in, in Pennsylvania. They've got Isaiah Bolden down in Florida. They've got a number of guys in California, but Javon Holland is a guy that I've been told is doing a lot of it. Um, and then Braden Lindsay up in Portland, as well as Dawson Yarmolo, who I didn't mention in the article, but I, I've heard he's done quite a bit as well, that are kind of spearheading this, and they're, and they're making an effort, a concerted effort, to, to not only communicate to the guys that are already committed and kind of build those relationships, but to also reach out to some guys that they want to join. Tyler Shuck. To Tyler Shuck. Yeah, exactly. Tyler Shuck, who committed, and I talked to him about it, and he said, yeah, that played a big role in it because he'd been committed to North Carolina and, and frankly, hadn't built those relationships. They hadn't kind of you – know, not only the coaches hadn't stayed on maybe as much as he'd like, but the fellow commitments hadn't. And for Oregon's – you know, had five guys, five or six guys in Oregon's class to just kind of stay on him, stay on him, stay on him, along with, you know, uh, Marcus Arroyo and a couple of other Oregon assistants, that kind of was a big part in his decision. So – yeah, peer recruiting is a big part, and that maybe is also why if you can get kind of that momentum early in a 2019 class, you get five or six guys that are committed early, and they can kind of collectively help kind of, you know, the domino effect of building a class. And you've seen that in 2018, and, and you're, I think, going to understand that that class going forward, if Oregon does take that next step, it starts with this group right here that a lot of talented guys and a lot of guys that are really committed to, to Willie Taggart's vision. I think uh, one other thing to look at is when when you talk about early recruitments and peer recruiting, um, especially for Oregon at this point in, in their timeline, there's only a select group of guys that they're really going after, and right. you know, and two of them are within the state. Chase Coda is a four-star receiver from South Medford, and five-star athlete Talanoa Hafunga. I think it's pretty set, 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 pretty fair to say, Eric, that. That peer recruiting group is pretty focused on those two guys. He, uh, that that I was told that by all four of the guys I spoke with. That yeah, those are those are guys they're going after. And a couple other guys worth mentioning: Devin Williams, wide receiver, another five star of SoCal, and then Penny Sewell from I believe Utah. Uh, th- those are kind of the top guys they're going after. And, and you know, Coda and Afanga are both guys that man, if you're an Oregon fan, you want to keep that in-state talent in-state, especially when they're guys that are not only... I mean, these are not borderline recruits. These are top 100, top 150 recruits. In guys home. you should play as freshmen. These are guys that will play as freshmen and play a big impact. And you, you want to see those guys staying in-state and not going south to UCLA or USC. That's going to do it for us on the Duck Territory podcast. Uh, we didn't talk basketball. We'll do that on Wednesday. They, they As we're recording this Monday afternoon... Uh, the Ducks play at 6 o'clock Monday night against Prairie View A&M, their second game of the season. Uh, so we'll, we'll kind of break down that uh, more in depth on, on Wednesday once we get two games under the, under the belts of regular season play uh, for your basketball needs. We'll also preview Oregon football later this week against, Utah, against Arizona. Um, we'll also talk some recruiting as well. Um, that's expected to be a pretty big recruiting weekend for Oregon football. Um, you can find us on iTunes by searching for the Duck Territory Podcast on iTunes. It's free. Uh, you can also go and listen to us online on facebook.com slash Oregon247. Uh, we do Facebook Lives throughout the show, uh, and we take interactions with fans, take questions. Uh, we also do Facebook Live videos, following reports, practice reports, and, and games, what have you. Um, so you can find us there as well. And then also, as usual, go to duckterritory.com uh 
for your Oregon football, Oregon basketball, and Oregon recruiting needs uh, in your interest in all three subjects, we cover those heavily uh, on DuckTerritory.com. So until we talk to you sometime later this week, thanks for listening. See you guys.